in the museum, there are all these clues, puzzles, you need to crack codes, you need to even break open vaults and ultimately uh, solve the mystery. So it's a, a totally different new way to go around the museum and to make use of those stories that are hidden inside our building. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. Welcome to the next episode of Learning Unboxed. I am very excited, as usual, to um, welcome um, our guests and to get ready and have a conversation about innovations and creativity in education. And today I am particularly excited because I always love it when we have guests from afar. And today we have with us Irma DeVries, who is um, the senior staff member for families and children in the education department of the Reichs Museum. And I probably completely botched your title, Irma, but uh, hopefully everybody will forgive me. I'm, I'm excited about this because Amsterdam um, is one of the places that I love very much. I've been to the Reichs Museum on numerous occasions, and it is a fabulous global resource. And I'm thrilled to have you with us today. So thank you for joining us. Yes, thank you. I'm very excited to uh, to join you. And so um, I've actually been pestering um, poor Irma for months. We've been trying to uh, get this interview together. And the reason I've been pestering her is because for those of you that don't know, and I'll get um, Irma to give an overview. Uh, and in fact, let's start with that, Irma. The, the Reichs Museum. For somebody who's never um, been fortunate enough to get to come and actually um, experience that space, let's start with the sort of the overarching mission and vision of the museum itself. Yes, well, we are uh, the National Museum of the Netherlands. So we present art and objects. We present our history, the history of the Netherlands from the Middle Ages until present day. And we have, uh, of course, a special focus on the 17th century with all these wonderful painters like Vermeer and Rembrandt uh, and the beautiful Night uh, Watch as an absolute highlight. And what we really want to do is to link people with uh, art and history to convey sort of a sense of uh, history and beauty. And uh, well, that's, that's, yeah, that's what, what our museum is about. And so, I mean, in, in very layman's terms, the home, literally, of the Dutch masters, and we all know them, they turn up in media, in documentaries, in magazines, anytime anybody wants to talk about that sort of period of global history, the images that we see, um, many of them, their home, their home today is the Rijksmuseum. Yes, that's true. Yes. Yeah, there, we have very iconic uh, works of art. Yes. Uh, that's why it's, it's, it's such an important uh, focus in our collection presentation. A large part of the building is dedicated to this 17th century, which is a, a golden age in, in our history. It brought us such famous painters as, as Rembrandt, as Vermeer, as Jan Steen. It's still, uh, I've been there millions of times now, well, not millions, but um, a lot of times. And I'm still love walking through the galleries and seeing these paintings. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. 
It is. It, 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 it is. Mm-hmm. If anybody who gets a chance to go, please, please do. You can't miss it. It's fabulous. But one of the things that I really love, um, and I was so excited to see that you're doing, and the last time that I was there, you know, I had the chance again to revisit the museum, but I didn't actually get to do this program because I didn't have time. Mm. But oh my gosh, was I inspired by it. So I'm really excited to have you talk about it. Because oftentimes when we, we talk about art museums, and especially in the global world of education, um, sometimes art, especially if you think about high art or, you know, back to this notion of these masters, these classical pieces, it can be very intimidating to folks who don't live in or love art for purely the sake of being art sometimes. Yes. And so it's one of the big challenges that all art museums have is how to A, make your collections accessible very broadly to a very diverse public set. And you know, Amsterdam is a place with a bazillion maybe almost literally, a bazillion Mm -hmm. tourists. People come from all over the world. It's it's one of those locations where people are constantly coming and going. So you have this this diverse set of folks that might or might not walk in the doors. And one of the big struggles that institutions like this have globally is how do we make what we have here, how do we make our collections relevant to a broad swath, quite frankly, of humanity? How does the museum think about tackling that? And then we're going to get into the program itself because this program, I think, does that and does it beautifully. More broadly speaking, you mean, how do we tackle that? Yes, well, um, it's, of course, a big challenge for our department, Department of Education. We have uh, people, my colleagues are specialized in different target audiences. And, of course, every target audience has different, different goals, different things that I want out of a visit and within those audiences there are huge differences as well so it's this is the question that keeps us busy all day long (laughs) (laughs) well we try new things i mean some people uh, are completely satisfied with doing an audio guide or multimedia tour or maybe some people want uh, a guided tour or other people want just to read the uh, gallery labels the wall labels so it's something that we are continuously occupied with? What is the perfect uh, way, the perfect medium for this audience and for this broad audience? And the program that you're talking about is, of course, that fits in this picture perfectly. It's something that we tried to to engage people in a completely new way. So again, you know, obviously I, I have a purpose for saying, hey, I want to have this conversation. And the reason I want to have this conversation is because, again, it's very difficult in some cases to to be able to draw in a really, really diverse public and make something as complex as the Dutch masters and all the other things that are in the Rijksmuseum really, really tangible and relevant and meaningful in an engaging and changing way. Because not only do you want people to come, but you want people to come over and over again. And so you have to get really creative. And I, and I love the fact that the education department, you guys came up with an escape room at the Rijks Museum. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, a program, it's not really a room in the traditional sort of sense. The entire museum um, is, is your, uh, your experience. Yes. So, <laughs> so tell, us, tell us about this program and then we're going to get into the nuts and bolts about how you actually ultimately made the decisions and, and the creation components itself. But give us the overview of what it does. Yes, well, it is, uh, as you said, it's, it's uh, not really an escape room. So we call it an escape game because yep. uh, you are not locked inside a room. 
we invite you to go around the whole museum. We really want that. We want people to use the whole building and to see, to go around the whole museum and see all these different things. So it's not a room which is one of uh, one important difference between an escape room and our game. And another important difference is that in most escape rooms, you have limited time, uh, one hour, for example, and we don't set a time limit because, of course, we don't really want people to feel rushed inside. Right, right. <laughs> we wanted them to take uh, take their time. So there's no time limit and there's no, you're not locked inside, locked inside a room, but it uses a lot of the same characteristics as an escape room. So it's this uh, mystery game that you play with your team, uh, two to five people. And uh, things that are in common with an escape room is that there is something mysterious going on inside a museum and we need you and your team to solve it. In the museum, there are all these clues, puzzles, you need to crack codes, you need to even break open vaults and ultimately uh, solve the mystery. And we really wanted this to be about immersion. So you even meet actors and have to role play a little bit. So it's a, a totally different new way to go around the museum and to make use of those stories that are hidden inside our building. So I love the fact that, you know, it, it literally is in, encouraging and it's required. You can't solve the puzzle or the mystery without going all over the museum. And so that naturally then gets um, your visitors to see, you know, they may have only had an interest in one area of the museum, but if they play the game, then they are immersed in the entirety of the Rijksmuseum in, in many ways. And so so as you were crafting this and you were leaving artifacts, clues, puzzles, things for them to solve in and around the museum, how do, how do you structure that? And how does the game, those who are playing the game, interact with those who are not playing the game? How do you manage these two sets of visitors? First of all, I think uh, because we really wanted uh, this to be immersive, we uh, started out to people who would receive two days in advance, people who play the game, we would book the game uh, on our website, they uh, would receive a video two days in advance. And then this video tells them, well, it gets, uh, makes them uh, know the story. So it tells them a story about this employee, Rex Museum employee, Bert, who is working late in the library one day and he finds something very strange. It's a floor plan of the museum. Uh, it's dated two centuries before the museum was built. Mm. Uh, and it has something to do with this painter, Terentius. And it's uh, very, uh, very strange because the next day he gets suspended and this floor plan is stolen. So obviously someone in the museum doesn't want uh, him to find out something. But he manages to get this internship. Sorry, he invites uh, the players, as to say, as interns in the museum to continue his investigation. So... From the moment that the players enter the museum, we don't talk about an escape game anymore. Right. So ask about the escape game. Nobody knows what they're talking about, but they do, <laughs> <laughs> they do know about this internship that uh, Bert has set up. So the players will uh, go to the intern desk and they will receive their package um, and their intern badges. And then they are um, Rijks Museum interns. So it was really, really wonderful to see all those museums <laughs> amongst all those other visitors. They were really recognizable because they had these huge intern badges. And you had, as you said, two different sort of visitor streams. Mm -hmm. And I really love that because uh, the players of the escape game, they 
move around the museum in a sort of a different way. They do different things. They see different things. They move on a more sort of secretive level. So they were easily recognizable amongst all the uh, other visitors. But we could speak to them about responsibility because they are an intern of the Dijks Museum. So they have to be set an example for the, so they couldn't run or uh, touch right. They had to set an example for the other visitors. Uh, so it was really fun to see those two different visitors, the kind of visitors, uh, mix with each other. So there's a bit of an orientation for these this, this team of interns when they arrive at the museum. Not only did they get their packets, but you're laying out expectations. And literally, you, you sort of, even though they may or may not realize it, You've crafted them as um, ambassadors of good behavior and stewardship (laughs) (laughs) within while they're playing the game for those who aren't involved in the game at all. Yes. I love that. That's that's absolutely brilliant, Irma. (laughs) (laughs) And I can, you know, my my brain is like, oh my gosh, how could we translate (laughs) this awesome experience at the Wright Museum and, and then other like, schools or community centers, they can create something very similar based on some of these (laughs) principles and these notions that you've developed. That's the beauty of it. So so, so then what happens? So these interns, they come, they've got this orientation and now they're off and running, but not running. Um, So what does that look like? What happens for them next? You know, I I love that we can walk through the experience for folks who might not get the chance to come. Yeah, sure. Yeah, well, of course, I can't give too much away. Right, right. Yeah, we we won't give away the secrets. (laughs) No, (laughs) it still has to be a little bit serious. But, uh, well, they uh, in their uh, interim package, they'll find this phone and in with the phone, they actually chat with a bird, this employee that they know from the video. So he gets in touch with them and he sends them on their quest in a museum. So he uh, is at home. So from a di- from a distance, he chats with them and he gives them directions and uh, makes them look at things and notice things just to find their way in the museum. But they also can ask him for help if they are figuring out something and they can't really figure it out and they, they can ask him for help. He will think along with them, although he doesn't know maybe either, but... Uh, mm-hmm. So it's it's really fun that they have this person that they uh, connect to and we early in the process found out that uh, people were really interested in this bird character. So they ah. asked kinds of questions about his personal <laughs> life. So during the whole game, Bert got, got this whole backstory. So people would ask him about his wife, about, about mm-hmm. his, they really wanted to connect to, to this character. But well, he is, he is the one who guides you to the museum. And with him, you find out more and more about this mysterious painter um, and what he has to do with the architect of the museum, Pierre Kuipers, because they lived two centuries apart. Mm-hmm. I really love the story about Terentius. We got to him by talking to curators uh, beforehand. And we asked this, these curate, uh, different curators uh, for stories that were kind of mysterious still, uh, because that's good for an escape room. Of course, you need something that you can, that is historically dra- grounded, but maybe still has some room to fill in for ourselves. And this painter Terentius, he is really fascinating. He is very mysterious in himself. He was, uh, he's from the 17th century and he was once mentioned as being as great as Rembrandt. But nowadays, nobody 
has ever heard of him. And a lot of people from the Netherlands, well, most people from the Netherlands don't know him either. So that's very strange because the critics of his time were incredibly positive about him uh, and his talents. But he was, he had these connections to this uh, heretic brotherhood. All his paintings were destroyed. Found one of his paintings again in the 20th century as the lid of a barrel. So all... Of, yeah, it's it's a wonderful story, and I recommend everyone to look it up. Um, so we used this story and this character, and we connected him to the architect of the museum, and in that way we could make people uh, really look for. I mean, you've been to the Rijksmuseum, mm-hmm. you know the building, and you know that it is full of these symbols and these decorations, right. all these ornaments that are well, very uh, they they ask questions of they 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 call up questions themselves. So. We really made the building and the architect a protagonist of the story. And that was really fun to see because people really just, I think people looked around more now and they looked to the building in a new way, in a different way. And that was really wonderful. Well, I can, I can tell you, I have not done, obviously, I, I, I didn't get the chance to do this particular escape game, but I've taken my family to um, similar ideas at mm-hmm. museums or historic sites around the world. And I can tell you without fail, the kids notice and ask questions and they get engaged in things that had we just walked through the museum. And even if we loved the walks through the museum and the things that we saw, we would still have not had the time or the inclination or the fascination, right? I guess, if you will, around the details. And that's one of the things that I really, really love about the approach that you've taken is you are immersing people in the intimate details that would have not occurred to them. And you're asking them to ask more about that. You're inviting them to be part of your question or your experience or your own learning about the world that you're portraying. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I really hope people um, have had such a positive and new experience in the museum. That's, of course, what, what's most important to us, that they right. live with a sort of sense of surprise about what they just experienced. And I think that's more important that, than that we conveyed who this character mm-hmm. was or something. It's more about the experience that they had together because they... They, they did this with a team. It's, it, it's, it's a team game. So you have to mm-hmm. each other, learn from each other. I love it when the children see or know something that the parents don't and they really have this experience together. And we offer this game uh, uh, not only for families and children, by the way, but a lot of families and children play this game. Uh, so And because that's my focus, I always mm-hmm. talk about them but um what i really loved about this game is that that it was an experience that you do with a team and that you really needed each other to complete this this game because one of the team members maybe one of the children is very good in paying attention to detail others are more um into uh, puzzling or navigating so you really need each other's skills and that's really wonderful it is really wonderful. And as you, so how, how many years have you been running the program? Well, it's uh, been running for two years now, mm-hmm. but I've only worked here for a year. So I've only, I only know about the second edition. This was the second year that we rerun the program. 
And you you tweak it a little bit each year, I assume. You know, the notification on the website says, hey, the 2020 version of the game is coming soon. So, yes. <laughs> so, so what's the mechanism or the decision-making around changing the game from year to year? I think people come back for the game. So it's also, uh, we already get questions uh, about, about the new, about the next game. So that's, that's the reason, of course, for us to think about how we can make it a new experience again. It's also about that it was, uh, it's for, uh, new to us. So we need, we, we learned new things from this game, things that we can maybe use in the next edition. And how much do you change the game? Is it radically different? So a whole new story or is it just a variation on the theme? Uh, no, we um, uh, did a completely new game. The second, wow. I don't know if we will do this uh, again. Um, we do tweak it because we did it in the summer holidays and the Christmas holidays and that was the same edition. So okay. uh, only we, we tweaked it a little bit. We updated it to make it even more, the flow, flow even better. And maybe we will do this game again next year. I don't know. Maybe we will do a, a new one again. We still have to make that decision. So I can't say it. But uh, this, the second edition was completely different from the first one. And one of the most important differences is that we want wanted the second game to be really immersive. Okay. So we wanted people to dive into the story. So we had rooms completely decorated in uh, for the escape game. And we really transformed the museum, in a sense, for this game. Wow, uh, okay. And had actors involved this time. So it was really a, a, different, a different game than the first one, just because we wanted to try something new. I love that. It's fabulous. That's awesome. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the fact, um, so some of the things that you learned along the way. So let's start with, you know, as you went from version one to version two, there were some, not only did you make changes, but you were very particular about some of the changes it sounds like that you made. So what were some of the things that, that didn't work that you learned that you wanted to change or do differently? And why, why make some of those shifts? As people think about, okay, I, I can imagine something like this. I can imagine doing you know, a, a variation of this um, you know, with my, my kids, my family or, or whatnot. Um, what were some of the things that just didn't work? And so, or they didn't work the way you hoped they would work. And, and maybe the participants didn't notice because oftentimes they don't. But as a practitioner, you're like, that was not what we intended. So give us some examples of some things like that. So as you did V2. Yes, well, one of the we we worked with a different uh, different developer because we didn't uh, the first time we did it in collaboration with this Israeli magician. Um, uh, he mm, did it okay museums in Israel, uh, and the second time around we did it with an escape room builder from uh, Amsterdam. They are cartoonists, okay. brilliant, and uh, so that was a difference. But that was also a difference because we had a had a new vision about this mm-hmm. immersive uh, game, um, and one of the uh, things that we we uh, said to Sherlock, to the developer of the second game, is that in the first game we saw that there were a lot of spoilers because it was so so popular that ah. people saw each other uh, solving puzzles and it gave a little bit, it gave it, yeah, it gave it away in some cases. So uh, that was one of the, the challenges that we had to face and that we tried mm-hmm. to solve in the second game. Of course, it's not easy to solve that because uh, we did want enough people to be able to play the game. Um, and I think you will always see each other. But in, in this, they uh, Sherlock found 
clever solutions to this. So I think that was one one of the things that we we wanted to tweak because we saw that it didn't work very well in the first game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a fabulous observation. So in in the same way that there were things that you decided that you were going to change, I would assume there were awesome some pretty amazing aha moments, both in the first game and in the second game. So I'm wondering if you could share um, some examples of some of the things that either you saw or you heard back from visitors that struck a chord with you that, ah, this is working. Uh, I I have to admit, because I wasn't there for the first time, there for the second year and then the decision was uh, already made that it would be more immersive. I don't really know the process of how how this went. I did play the first game myself so I can well uh, tell you from my own experience but I think what really worked uh, well in both the games were uh, the elements of uh, puzzling and that you do that you need to do that together. In the first game we already had uh, this story, this backstory and because we saw that all the potential of this story being grander and being more immersive, that's one of the yeah the, the important choices that we make is to have people even dive into the story more. Mm-hmm. Do you hear from the participants? Do they either reach out to the museum or the chatter as folks are going on? I'm really, really curious about the mm-hmm. feedback from those. So now you've got the second iteration and you're, you're, uh, you're getting ready to start making decisions about, is there a third iteration? And if so, what does that look like? I would assume that participant feedback really sort of um, yes, is, a, is something that's important. So, so what yes. do you hear? What do you hear from people? What are they telling you? Well, we did a survey. So mm-hmm. one of the things that we found very important in this, uh, this and in the uh, first and in the second game is that we would reach, uh, give uh, people a reason to visit our museum and people who maybe, uh, as you talked about before, think of museums as being not for them. We want to be for them as well. We want them right. to right feel like we are a museum for them and that we are a place for them. So that's one of our our goals. And uh, we did surveys and it turns out that 30% of the people are new visitors. And wow. really good news because it, 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 it gives us the confidence that this is something, this is a tool that people know from, they know escape rooms from outside of the museum world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. feel confident that this this is something that they will enjoy with their family, with their friends, and it gives them a reason to to come to our museum. And that's really wonderful. So that's something that 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 is definitely well feedback that we could use and that we So I, I just want to be clear because wow, that's a phenomenal number. And so I just want to make sure that I understand exactly the context. So thirty percent of the people who were providing feedback in the survey about the escape game came because of the game. 30%. That was what brought them to the museum? 30% were visitors who didn't visit the museum before or uh, before uh, uh, when it uh, reopened in 2013. Mm -hmm. But 94% of the people indicated that they came specifically for the escape game. Wow. Almost everyone really came for the escape game. And we also got uh, very positive grades. So they graded us with a nine out of 10. So that gives us the confidence that this is something that people really like to do in our museum. Wow. So, so and, and of those people, 30% were new visitors. So they 
yeah, I think we can. Yeah, yeah. But that's, yeah, that's phenomenal, right? Because yes. 30%. And just for, for folks to understand, I don't know off the top of my head the total visitors per year at the Rijks Museum, but it's really, really large. So this yeah. 30% is a big number. Yes. What, what, what do, you, do you know off the top of your head what the, the annual visitors uh, for the museum are? Well, uh, 2019 was a good year. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. 0.7 million. So, so yeah, for my listeners, 30% of that is substantial. Wow. Well, congratulations. Yeah, well, 30, <laughs> it's, it's of course not 30% of those 2.7 million, but uh, right. of the people who play the escape game. Right, right. That's still um, uh, 15,000 people. Uh, and wow. yeah. Yes. So that's a, those numbers are really wonderful for us. Yes. Well, and that, that's a lot of people to manage in the year. 15,000 visitors, you know, trolling around at doing their <laughs> internship. Yes. That's, that's a lot happening. So the, there can be multiple players, multiple teams playing at the same time, and the game can literally be played pretty much all day as long as there's enough time to complete the game. So this yes. can be going, this is an ongoing sort of every day. It's not just here and there. No, and, and we offer it only in the summer holidays and Christmas holidays. So uh, yes, as you said, it, it, the, the museum uh, is overloaded with interns. You see that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that though. That yeah. was really, really brilliant on your part. So um, one of the other questions that I have, and it's probably a silly question, um, but, but I really want to know. So as folks are interacting with Bert um, and they're asking all these questions, so, so is Bert a person, a real person that's talking to them or is this all pre-recorded sort of stuff and they get the story in small pieces along the way? How did you guys yes. do that part? Well, it's, it's a chat bot, but uh-huh. it's also a real person behind this bot. So I think maybe 80% is uh, the chat bot. So that's, that's pre-programmed. Uh-huh conversation that you have with Bert. But of course, people ask uh, different questions and uh, new questions. And then there's something, someone behind the spot who talks to the players. Uh, so so well, uh, some of the time you will be talking to a real person and some of the time you will be talking to the chatbots. That's awesome. But it also means, you know, for folks to really understand from a staffing standpoint, you got a bird on standby. There's, there's somebody every day <laughs> the game is being played, right? That's yes. there ready to answer the question the bot can't get. Yes, it's really intense job. <laughs> <laughs> you have, I mean, uh, imagine a little curious too. You have all <laughs> kinds of things that people would ask. So interesting. Yeah. 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 And that's why we developed this large backstory for bird because, yeah, well, it was growing and growing and the host. Mm-hmm. Behind this chatbot, they all uh, uh, noted these qu- these questions they mm-hmm. asked, and that they would uh, answer on, along the same lines. Mm-hmm. Of course, there were different shifts. Sure. Uh, did not only have a host uh, for Bert, we also had a host who uh, uh, interacted with the players directly. So you would okay. meet um, someone in a, a sort of a research restoration lab. We meet, of course, the, the one ma- uh, managing the intern desk. You would meet a, a curator uh, who you could ask questions and who would uh, give you a new clue, which would uh, make you continue your question. Mm-hmm. So there were uh, uh, all different kind of hosts uh, spread uh, across the museum. That's fabulous. I absolutely really, really love that. That's great. I guess uh, two more questions as we sort of get ready to, to wrap up. So the first one is, how do you 
capture the sort of takeaways of the experience. So you do the survey and do folks interact with you or with the museum after the fact? Do they do they do they reach out? What's what's their tangible sort of thing? Because the reason I'm asking the question, so for example, if you do um, a Google of things to do um, in Amsterdam for families, this pops up, right? And so obviously there are folks that are writing reviews. Um, there are there are things that you know um, you know mom blogs and things like that. So people are yes. talking about this. How do you capture this extraneous information, or do you and the reason I ask this question is because we get asked all the time as schools or communities or museums because we talk about stories and these great experiences or opportunities kind of all over the world. And people ask me all the time, how do we gather all of the stuff that's happening sort of out here versus right here in the center of it? And then how do we how do we effectively use this? Because it it's a great yes. informational tool when we develop programs. Yes, of course. Yeah. And how do we uh, use, use yeah. options and how we, do we incorporate the voices of the people who play? Mm-hmm. I guess that's still a challenge for us. We, I think it's a challenge for many. I didn't mean to put you on the spot <laughs> because I asked the question because I get the question a lot, right? Because folks are struggling with this. All kinds of institutions, big, small, local, you know, national. So I just, I was curious. I keep hoping somebody will say, hey, I have the magic bean for how you do that. (laughs) Part of um, the the thing in this this escape uh, game, this edition of the escape game, was that you find something in the museum that is something that you have to keep secrets. So you become become part of the secrets. So you even get this... A secret stamp that's only visible uh, under UV lights. Uh-huh. So you know it's there, but it isn't really there. And then you can't even tell Bert. So it was really fun at the end of the escape game that we uh, uh, we we saw the interns again at the intern desk, and we asked them, "So how was your experience? And uh, how did you uh, did you find something? Did you did you mm-hmm. find?" request and they would say no no we didn't find anything because they knew they had to be secret about it so they really were still into this game um but of course people would react very positively and they would have such a fun experience and they are vocal about it online and they are (laughs) yeah (laughs) and we do want to do more with that we do want to to give them sort of an experience that lasts beyond the game and to do more with their voices uh, when they have finished the game so they could maybe enjoy it again and again and again. So that's something that we're still working on. How, how maybe this, this will be something that we can use in a third edition. Right, uh, right. Yeah, how do we yeah. use all these reactions from the public and yeah. incorporate that in a product? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's very fair. And thank you for that because I, I do, like I said, I, I, this is a question I get all the time. Like, I don't know. I ask everybody, how are you doing this? Because it's <laughs> awesome. But, but I will say I, I have not seen folks online and I did a pretty thorough search. People are not giving the secrets away. That's why I was like, okay, how does this really work? Right? Because you, you can't truly glean. So that's a good thing. You guys that's are a good thing. They incredibly are effective story. at yeah. getting people not only to believe in the experience in the story, but 
believe in the power of it, that if they, if they give the secrets away, it takes enjoyment away from others. And I think that's a, that's a, a, that you did a beautiful job, but it also, you know, a lot of faith in humanity and understanding mm-hmm. the premise. So I love that. Um, I always like to close the program by recognizing that there are folks all over the world, um, who, um, who are listening who are thinking to themselves, well, I unfortunately am never going to make it to the Rijksmuseum. I'm not going to get to meet Bert, be an intern (laughs) and play the game. But I would really love to take elements of what I just heard and incorporate it into my community, into my after-school program, into my summer program, into what's happening in my school or my community center, or maybe go talk to my local museum about doing something similar. So what are your big, you know, your big giant sort of last lob for folks that are sitting back and saying, hey, is it possible that I could do even a small piece of what I just heard Irma talking about? So what, what would you recommend to folks um, in terms of if they wanted to try something similar about how they would just get started thinking about it? It's about thinking, well, if, if I'm talking about our own collection, or do you mean, if, how could I use our collection, our museum, or how, they, how could I use these principles of the escape room, of the escape game in their own practice? Well, let's run with both since you offered both. So, you know, <laughs> from the outside, how can I, if I can't ever get to the Rijksmuseum, how could I utilize museum resources in, for example, my own classroom? Let's say I'm a teacher. Yes. And in South America, in in India, in wherever, right? And I'm not going to be able to get there, mm-hmm. um, but I very much want to be able to utilize the resources. So that's one question. And the second question is, then how could I use, um, you know, some of the things that you've learned about crafting an escape game? Because it's engaging. What I love about it is what you've done is you've just sucked the learner in, right? No matter what age, if they're a kid or the adult, you've, you've got them. They bought in with yes. you. They're there. Yeah. That's a magical thing in the, you know, sort of global uh, difficulties, I guess, if you will, around how do we do really, really high quality teaching and learning. And yes. that, that two hours, man, it is not lost, <laughs> right? Yeah, well, for the first part, I guess, um, well, we really believe that the, the people uh, who know how to use our material best are the teachers themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so we offer these collections in our website. We have something that's called Rack Studio, which is our whole collection is uh, online and is uh, you can look it up on the website. But we also make collections for teachers so they can use uh, and we and we um, give them uh, tools and questions so they can use that uh, in their own practice and cater it to the way they uh, would like to use it in their classroom, for example. Mm-hmm. For this uh, second part, as far as the escape game goes, I think, yeah, we had a couple of learnings that were important to us. And one of the things that was most important to me as an educator is that I really had to keep in mind that I didn't need needed to educate too much. Because mm-hmm. about, uh, the experience that it was about that people had a fun experience with, with each other, a fun experience with each other in the museum. And it was not about making them learn about this painter trenches or making them learn about them. It was about them interacting together with each other and with our collection. And I really firmly believe that pe- people really 
remember more than you think, even though if you even though you don't really impose these lesson goals in your program. So to to balance some sort of substance and entertainment together, mm-hmm. that I think that was a challenge and also a learning for me. That yeah, to be confident that people will will take a lot along their way and that their uh, positive experience in our museum was most important. What I found really interesting is is that the story, and we had 8,000 objects in the museum and they all have wonderful stories, but the story that is uh, mysterious and that makes you wonder and makes you question things, that's that's the story that you need if you want something, uh, if you want to make an escape game experience itself. So the story is, is, is an important factor as well. Yeah, absolutely. And what an engaging story it is. So you a fabulous, fabulous job. So thank you so much, Arma, for spending um, some time with us and sharing the story of the escape game. So um, we will um, post the resources on the, on the website that goes um, with the episode when we let it go. So I hope lots of people visit you online um, after they hear your story. <laughs> so thank you again for joining us today. Yes, thank you so much. It's wonderful. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education. <laughs>